Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. But I wanted to get back to something that was just much more directly attributable, you know, that if it were not for that particular technology or that intervention, that patient's life would not have been the same. And that's what has always drawn me into healthcare is that you can't actually have a transformational impact on people's lives. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now... By all means. When you think about some of the biggest healthcare threats facing our society today, cancer probably comes to mind, heart disease, maybe diabetes. What about wound care? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably not on your top five or even top 10 list. And yet, more than 13.5 million Americans are living with wounds could be from surgery, an injury, an ostomy bag, or age. And treating these often chronic issues costs 50 to $100 billion annually. This is the problem Nima Ahmadi wants to solve. The Wound Company launched in 2022, and already it's serving patients nationwide, reducing treatment time and expense. It's a great example of how one entrepreneur can impact the lives and health of many. But let's hear from Nima. He explains it best. Wound care in America is at an inflection point. Our Mm. population is much older than ever before. Mm. We have talked about metabolic disease like diabetes for many, many years. And now one plus one is equaling three. The combination of an aging population and metabolic disease is creating skyrocketing amounts of wounds, which is a problem most people haven't really spent any time thinking about. Yeah. And earlier this year, some data came out of Western Europe showing that to the National Health Service there, wound care is their third biggest expense after cancer and diabetes. And most people have heard of cancer and diabetes. Right. So to hear that wound care and the violation of patients' tissue, their skin, which is their biggest organ, can actually be so expensive is raising eyebrows everywhere, and for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard you talk about those figures, and it is just really staggering and not what, what most people would expect. But I find myself wondering, how in the world did you go down this path and get into this? So take us back, if you will. You grew up mostly in California. Were you interested in medicine? Were you interested in business? What would you have said you wanted to do when you grew up? One day when I was a kid, I told my mom about my earliest childhood memory of an uncle who was a double amputee. At that time, I was about two and a half, three years old, so I was very young. But this image of my uncle who had both of his legs amputated because of wounds that were not properly cared for had basically been burned into my mind as a little kid. And my mom found it shocking that I remembered that image of him down to the fact that he was sitting on a white sheath on the floor. You know, everybody else Hmm. wasn't at eye level with the young kid in Mm -hmm. the, you know, family gathering. But I certainly remembered that. And I've had other folks in my family who suffered from 
wounds related to metabolic disease like diabetes. And one of my dearest aunts is also disabled. And so disability had always been something that I had been thinking about and was thinking about, you know, as far as medicine and how to better serve these types of individuals. And I had the experience of going and building prosthetic implants Mm. overseas in Guatemala for folks who similarly had suffered from wounds and amputation being a more cost-effective approach at times to managing the, the wound care resulted in their permanent disability. And it was there that I started to think about how I could participate in healthcare and building medical technology. And that led to studying biomedical engineering and computer science and pursuing a career in healthcare innovation, ultimately. You did that studying at Stanford. We should just drop that in there. Did that, did that, um, when you arrived at, so you had already been working in prosthetics or doing some of this before college? Right at the beginning of college. Wow. Okay. And as you were thinking about all of these things, I mean, it's it's so specific to to be so young and focused on that. I mean, w- at that point, were you considering medical school or was it more about med tech or the business side? Did you know? I had been always interested in in medical school, as many kids are initially. I was also interested in traveling in Latin America. I'd studied Spanish for many, many years and re- never really had the opportunity or permission for my parents to go and, you know, live abroad and work in, you know, a Spanish-speaking country. And an opportunity came up and I was able to win a couple grants to go and actually build these prosthetic implants Mm. in Guatemala for an organization led by disabled people who was building these prosthetic implants and also wheelchairs. And it seemed like a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It certainly was, and it inspired me to, instead of pursuing a career as a medical practitioner, to basically be an engineer and an innovator, thinking about how to have an impact at greater scale. Hmm. You, you're, this is not, Wound Company, which we'll get to, is, is not your first startup. Right. Your first one is, was it Bionic? Is that the first? Right. Bionic Health was an early care management platform where we would aggregate data from different types of sensors and use those to make personalized recommendations for folks on their health. That was back in 2013. That company ultimately wasn't a success because at that time and still even today, there aren't a lot of incentives for that sort of preventative care. Hmm. Certainly back over a decade ago, that was even less the case and we expected that that would improve you know, more quickly than it ended up. So while Bionic wasn't a success, it really did show me how exciting digital health can be because unlike pharmaceuticals or medical devices that have very long lead times until you know whether or not a product works, in digital health and services, you can test things more quickly and bring in some of the sensibilities from consumer innovation to actually have an impact you know, somewhere in the middle of consumer tech innovation and healthcare innovation traditionally. So where did you go after that experience? So I, like anybody who enters this extremely complex healthcare industry, everything is highly niche. Everything is oddly and eccentrically specific in American <laughs> healthcare. I um, found my way to Minnesota, and I joined a company that at that time was called Novu Health. And Novu was a competitor of another local company 
uh, started by Kyle Rolfing called Red Brick Health. And these companies were building digital experiences for employees who could connect their data, read health content, and it was designed as a wellness platform. And when I joined the company, I'd come to Minnesota for my now wife, and I had just closed my previous startup company, and I was very you know, candid with the founders of Novu that the product that is it stood then was really not being well utilized. And the data and the customer interviews I'd done as their first head of product and strategy really showed that that legacy product, you know, wasn't where the energy was. Hmm. But we had an opportunity in a very different area that wasn't wellness, but was, again, oddly specific, you know, measures that health plans are evaluated on for people to do preventative screenings like a breast cancer exam, a colonoscopy. And after many heated discussions with you know, Tom Wicca, who's still a dear friend of mine, you know, I was able to build consensus that we should pivot the company and squarely focus on driving these preventative screenings for health plans, communicating with seniors and individuals on Medicaid to improve these specific measures, which are hmm. tied to revenue. So rather than, you know, building wellness solutions, which, you know, the impact is kind of difficult to measure, it's hard to attribute here. We had pioneered getting people to do something very specific, using rewards and incentives to move that behavior, and then each one of those activities correlated to revenue for our customers. So that business grew very quickly, and in less than three years, we were managing over 15 million members nationwide on behalf of the top 50 health insurers. Novu Health has since become Icario. It's acquired a couple other businesses. It's a very great success story for Minnesota Healthcare Innovation. Mm -hmm. And I felt at that point that I wanted to get back to kind of what brought me into healthcare initially, which admittedly, you know, driving STARS ratings for health plans as impactful as that is, wasn't really that kind of core problem for me. That went back to amputation prevention, wound care. You know, I was really struggling back in 2018 thinking about like, why did I get into healthcare in the first place? You mm -hmm. know, like this wasn't exactly what I envisioned with the education that I had and, you know, my own passion. And so I joined a company that was the global leader in amputation prevention that's now part of Abbott to get back to that kind of core problem of, of wound care and, you know, something more clinical. And, and what did you, what did you see, you know, now coming off of a couple of startups and, and seeing everything you had in in benefits, where we are in the business of health, your initial passion towards solving for wounds, what did you think the opportunity was? I, I actually, when I think back at that point, I couldn't really see very clearly. I just wanted to do something that was much more clinical. I wanted to get closer to the patient. You know, driving preventative screenings at very large scale was obviously impactful in its own way, but I wanted to get back to something that was just much more directly attributable, you know, that if it were not for that particular technology or that intervention, that patient's life would not have been the same. And that's what has always drawn me into healthcare is that you can't actually have a transformational impact on people's lives. And so I joined that medical device company um, and it helped me gain clarity on a few things. The first was that there is an epidemic of wound care and it's even larger than I previously knew. Can you pause right there and explain to us what your what what are, what do you mean when you talk about wound care? Right. So 
We have a very broad definition of what it means to be wounded. Our company views wound care as any violation of the patient's tissue, which could be the result of chronic disease, aging. It could also be because of surgery, and it could be because of any trauma or burn. So there are many ways that our skin and our external tissue can be impacted. And once it is impacted, it requires a very unique skill set to help individuals. And that's not something that's been well aggregated, well understood, and well serviced in this healthcare industry. The medical community definition of a wound is much more narrow. It looks at wounds, meaning that there is a significant alteration to the skin. It could be venous ulcers, so individuals, primarily seniors, who have a lot of accumulation of blood and fluid in their leg and combined with a weaker, more fragile skin that results in a lot of wounds, usually on their shin. Diabetic foot wounds are a crisis in America. Those are, tend to be you know, on the feet and can result in amputation. And then there are also pressure injuries, what are sometimes colloquially called bed sores. So we have an enormous population of folks who are either disabled or bedridden. They are at high risk for these pressure injuries. And what people, sometimes when we think about wounds, we think about just the opening in the skin, but it's also an area where infection can get in. And that's actually the most dangerous part of wounds and what drives cost. And part of the education that we've had to do is not just about the wound itself, but what does it mean for somebody to be wounded? So we're talking about wounds that require ongoing care or treatment or hospitalization? Right, okay. right, right. Um, and, and do you define that, you know, as far as like how, I mean, it's, it's not a, a really terrible laceration that's going to take a few months to heal. I mean, it's something more, um, more debilitating than that. It can be, but actually some of these very challenging wounds can be healed quickly if approached correctly. So when we think about wound care, the way that it is approached still in America is that we wait for these wounds to get really bad, and then patients go into a sort of medical facility, usually the hospital emergency department. And at that point, we react very strongly. So think of it as like a big triangle. We do a lot of things to these patients, and then we discharge them but there isn't any follow-up. So somebody who had that wound and may be susceptible to more wounds, we're not really monitoring them or providing them with the ongoing follow-up necessary, and so their wound may deteriorate again, and they may develop new wounds. And then we go back to this cycle of reacting, doing a lot of things to these patients, and then, again, that just perpetuates itself, which is what drives this accumulation of costs is that there isn't that sort of continuous engagement with individuals who are at risk or wounded actively. So was that your premise? I mean, was that when the light bulb went off for you, that right. there would be a better way? Right, exactly. I mean, I noticed three things. Number one is that there are very few people who are actually experts in wound care. So there is an issue of supply against growing demand, fundamentally. Number two is that that labor supply isn't organized effectively. Most of the people who are certified in wound care are in hospitals. They are trying at the 11th and a half hour to throw a Hail Mary and do something to help these patients, but they are very far along with their wound, which means that we need to do a lot more. That means more expensive. And there's a very low chance of success. So there's a misorganized, there's a disorganized allocation 
And then the third issue, which I learned, you know, by by virtue of being in a medical device company, is that there's actually a lot of perverse incentives that drive the wrong wound care. So, what do you mean? For example, in America, the Department of Justice sued the largest wound care pro- provider in the country for fraud, waste, and abuse because of hyperbaric oxygen, where patients were being put into these oxygen chambers which is expensive, it's not medically necessary in, in many cases, and that was one example. The other example that happens quite commonly now is that you know patients are getting these skin substitutes put on them as part of their wound care. The patient is told that this is advanced therapy that's going to help them heal, but in actuality, there's economic incentives to apply a lot of these skin substitutes, and Medicare has only recently started to put more restrictions on this kind of practice. So there are also, you know, history of different kinds of interventions, you know, for wounds that, you know, we have been doing an order of magnitude more than we should have, you know, and basically in our view, the the central issue in, in wound care is that companies who are providing the wound care should not benefit from you staying wounded and having a <laughs> lot of wounds. Right. I mean, I think fundamentally you know, the company should be aligned to the needs of the patient. And when you say company, what, what do you mean? Are you talking about hospitals? Are you talking about benefits providers? Who, who is benefiting? Great question. So there are two groups of people who are not specialized in wound care, but are oftentimes faced with wound care. And those are primary care physicians. You know, they're general contractors for the patient. They have enormous panel sizes. They don't have specific training necessarily in wound care, but they end up seeing a lot of these patients and they're not equipped to address that, nor do they have the time. Home care would be another group of folks who they have nurses, they're struggling with staffing shortages, deflationary reimbursement, and you know they don't necessarily have certified experts in wound care or enough of them to really address this epidemic. And then you have a third group, which are historical, what we call the legacy establishment in wound care. These are companies like Vora, Hillogix, those are big players who go out and do this kind of wound care. They may do it in a nursing home. They may, they may have wound care facilities that people have to drive to to get this kind of wound care. And those, and their smaller versions of which there are many in this kind of fragmented industry, is what we kind of refer to as the legacy wound care establishment that has you know, grown and continued to grow with a deterioration simultaneously in the overall outcomes nationwide in wound hmm. care. Are they doctors? I mean, is, is that a, a, are you talking about a, a specialist? This is part of the issue in wound care is that doctors don't go to residency for wound care. Yeah. That the core workforce that is certified in wound care are nurse practitioners and nurses. Now, oh. there are some physicians, maybe they were previously primary care physicians who've, you know, transitioned to overseeing a wound care center and, you know, providing governance and supervision. But the core of wound care is really delivered by nurses and nurse practitioners. Why is that? It's the way that it's been organized. You know, we have seen it as an extension of of nursing. Uh Um, I don't think fundamentally that's the problem. I actually think it's a good thing to have, you know, folks practicing at the top of their license. I don't think we need surgeons doing wound care. Sure, sure. But Um, I think we do need to also sort of appreciate that part of the issue in wound care is that there isn't a logical owner of wound care, Mm -hmm. you know, which has contributed to this 
problem, that if there was a cardiologist equivalent, right. then there would be a point of accountability. But here, the accountability is highly diffuse mm -hmm. into this kind of fragmented landscape. You know, podiatrists are sometimes involved in wound care, but in some states, they can only practice below the ankle. They're doing other things, you know, and so there isn't a singular owner. And that's part of what we're actually trying to rectify is that we're creating this sort of central nexus of accountability where every patient who has a wound has a wound care expert assigned to them continuously to ensure that they're healing appropriately and getting the appropriate care. Amazing idea. Now, how do you actually deliver? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. When you're looking for business advice, Everyone's got an opinion, an angle, a surefire five-step plan. But if you want to know whether any of it actually makes sense for your business, who do you turn to? Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank, because understanding is everything. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. Nima was just starting to map out plans for the wound company in 2020. And you know what happened next. The pandemic, I think, was an accelerator. Basically, what we saw is that the patients were not getting the appropriate wound care. So not only was the demographic and disease profile of the country contributing to more wounds, but now there were barriers to getting that care. And the traditional system, which was really not set up for any kind of virtual monitoring supervision to begin with, now was really failing patients and what kind of care patients needed. Mm -hmm. The second is that the pandemic exacerbated staffing shortages, a lot of issues that we had in healthcare where the model isn't necessarily sustainable. So that was going to make this problem worse. And then third, it was bringing awareness to the fact that technology could be used and both patients were more open to telehealth than before mm -hmm. and the medical establishment had no choice but to embrace telehealth. And those factors contributed to my thought that we needed to immediately kind of build a new system that would look at wounds with a new technology-first approach and really change the payment model to align incentives between what the health plans and us as taxpayers, the ultimate you know, folks paying the cost of wound care in America gone awry, mm -hmm. needed as well as what patients needed. Okay. Wow. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a big idea. Um, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You had another job. What did you do? How, how did you, I mean, how did, how did you literally start this? So I quit that job, okay. and a friend of mine who is a general surgeon in Philadelphia and co-founder of The Wound Company, Dr. Sanford Roberts, he and I started to think about how we could build a new end-to-end -end model for wound care. And it goes back to those three issues, mm -hmm. you know, lack of experts, lack of care continuity, and perverse incentives. And so our business is really wound care that you can trust delivered continuously by experts. And we felt it was key to aggregate nurses and nurse practitioners, certified and experienced in wound care, assign them to individual patients. So everybody with a wound had a personalized wound care nurse assigned to them mm -hmm. that was quarterbacking and ensuring their healing, and that we would actually not participate in those perverse incentives and align ourselves with the health plans 
and CMS and really ensuring that patients were getting the care that was medically necessary. Now, mind you, we also pay, you know, even the seniors 20% of, you know, a medical procedure. So actually creating affordability is not just good for the health insurance insurers and the government. It's actually good for the individual patient who is not paying for things that are not medically necessary and could actually harm them even more. So is the idea that the wound company partners with clinics, with the benefits providers? What, what is the model? How, do, how does it work? So we partner with health plans to deliver higher quality, more affordable wound care and reinventing the payment model towards value-based care. So we are the first and leading value-based provider of wound care where we're pushing health plans toward a capitated payment. And what I mean by that is we get this amount of money and we need to heal the wound, which puts us Mm. on the hook for actually healing the wound as quickly as possible and aligns incentives compared to the status quo where the longer somebody stays wounded, it is an annuity, right? And Mm. that's, that's actually not a good thing neither for us nor for the patient. So that's our work with health plans. Different health plans have varying degrees of need. So Medicare Advantage, for example, with seniors is going to have the highest need for wound care. Within Medicare Advantage, there are different types of health plans that have even higher needs. Mm -hmm. So you may have institutionalized special needs plans. Those are plans for seniors in nursing homes. They may have prevalence of wounds between 25 and 30%, which means a lot of their patients have wounds, and 100% of them are at risk. So how do you take that patient population? How do you look at who is at higher risk? How do you make sure that you're engaging at the right level with the right patient? And that's where our data analysis comes into play. So we know where to throttle up and where to, you know, we need to spend more time. So that's our work with health plans. We identify the patient populations. We define personalized care plans. We actually deliver that care. We deliver it virtually. We deliver it in the home, assisted living, nursing homes. So are there medical professionals who actually work for the wound company? Right. Yeah. We, we have medical professionals that work for the wound company. And right now, you know, we don't function like an Uber platform. You know, we actually directly employ these folks at varying levels and we tightly control quality. And I think that's really important. So we're fully vertically integrated. We're delivering all of the wound care. And because of that, we can actually participate in risk. So we can actually take risk on the wound care because we're doing all of the wound care. And that puts us in a position to negotiate specialty contracts. Now, we also will work with existing providers. And we have dozens of providers all across the country, including here in the state of Minnesota, who are taking risk from the health insurance plan in varying degrees. And we enable them to deliver better wound care. And something that we understand, even though we talk about how big of a problem wound care is, in our view, patients need a general contractor. They need a good primary care provider. Mm -hmm. We are not a panacea. A lot of patients with wounds have many different health issues going on, and they need wound care, but they need a lot of other things too. And this is important to recognize. So we really enjoy being able to plug in seamlessly within existing healthcare organizations to help them deliver higher quality wound care that is more satisfying, more affordable, and helps patients heal more quickly. And in doing so, the patient gets more integrated care and their overall care is more affordable for the patient Mm. and taxpayers. Wow. 
So walk us through it. Would you like let let's take let, let's take me as an example. I have some sort of wound that needs attention. I go, let's say I have a primary care doctor. I go to that doctor. I need help. The doctor is at a clinic that is associated with the wound company. What happens? How does this all get activated? So in that example, your primary care provider determines that you have a wound. You need to be seen and assessed for that wound. They would refer you to us. We would assess your wound. If we can do it virtually, that is our preference so that we can see exactly what your wound is like. We evaluate all of our wounds on a dozen factors and we track their progression on every single one of those factors continuously. So we would do that assessment virtually, which we can do in the majority of cases. Now, if you were challenged by technology, if your wound was located on your back or under your foot, we would work to find a suitable caregiver, personal care assistant, family member who could help facilitate that virtual visit so we could see your wound. When we do that, we actually can determine what the appropriate care plan is and know how to schedule that next visit to deliver the right care for your need. In what percentage of cases are you really able to make that diagnosis virtually? In 75% probably of all of our cases. Hmm. There are patients that are, you know, in facilities where we need to go and see them that maybe the facility nurses don't want to help, don't want to cooperate in helping us see the patient so we have to actually go out, which is part of why we like having that arrow in our quiver. I don't think wound care is a digital-only space. I think Mm -hmm. it's a digital-first space. And, you know, you would be surprised. We see patients who are quadriplegics, who have wounds or ostomies and are engaging with them on telehealth. And we have seniors who are in their 90s who are engaging with us in telehealth directly. Hmm. So it is not the case that you can't assess wounds virtually. And in fact, if you do assess wounds virtually and establish that care, you can deliver the in-person care selectively that you need, and you can actually monitor these wounds continuously. And that is what is critical to drive compliance with the treatment plan, make sure patients are well-supported. So we actually really do assign a personal wound care nurse to these patients. I see. Okay, so back to me. You've, you've done the virtual assessment. Let's say you figured it out. Right. So then you a- assign someone to me and you create a, a treatment plan? We create a treatment plan. And for your wound, that may involve follow-up care, care that you may be able to do certain things at home with the help of a family member, care that may require us to come out, right, and provide that in-person care. You may have tissue that is that needs to be cleaned out of that wound. You may need compression wrapping. You know, there's different types of interventions. What we believe to be tried and true, supported by evidence, non-experimental that you need, and when you need it, we want to deliver it. And at that point, we are monitoring your wound healing. We're checking in with you making sure that you feel well-supported, that you or whoever is involved in your care feels well-supported, and that we are project managing your healing Hmm. to get your wound healed as fast as possible. Do you have numbers yet? I mean, you've only been around for since 2022. Are there numbers yet about how much quicker wounds heal under this model? Yeah, it varies by wounds. For example, you know, a venous wound 
on the leg may take 18 weeks to heal approximately. We're able to heal that in less than 12 weeks, and we can do that at a fraction of the cost. So, you know, you look at another example in our work in ostomies, which we haven't talked about yet, special kind of wound that's created surgically for patients to evacuate stool or urine into a bag. Certain kinds of ostomies have a very high readmission rate, as high as 41%, because patients are losing too much liquid stool into this bag. They're becoming dehydrated. Mm. Through our model of care, virtually, we're able to assess these patients. We're able to keep them out of the hospital, prevent any issues with their pouching system, help them achieve a good lifestyle. That work is almost 100% virtual, and we have eliminated ostomy readmissions in our patient population. So think about 41%. By marrying a patient to a certified woundostomy nurse, that certification goes together, that they can actually get the best care in the privacy of their home without having complications that results in their readmission. And basically, nobody was paying attention. I mean, is that how they were in that predicament? You know, it the the last few years has been especially challenging for these healthcare organizations mm-hmm. the the stress and financial pressure on providers the staffing issues have really transformed the current state for patients you know we we weren't set up for this many patients mm-hmm. and we weren't set up to approach that at a point when there was so much interrogation happening about staffing so before you know there Maybe it was okay, but at this point in time, with the demographic issue being what it is, the staffing issue being what it is, the way that healthcare has reorganized itself as a result of these staffing pressures and economic issues, we really need new models of care, mm-hmm. and that's where we we come in. Yeah, you know. So, um, so back to me. I'm getting the care now. I have a plan. Who's paying? Am I, am I paying this through my insurance? How, how does that work? Right. So if we are working on behalf of another healthcare organization to help them achieve better wound care. Right. My doctor has sent me to you. In that case, it would be, you know, if your doctor is part of a, an entity that is taking risk, like an accountable care organization, then yes, right? Then they would be paying for our services and involvement. I see. But then is that ultimately going to get billed to me, the, the consumer, one way or the other? Or It depends. It's complicated. But in many cases, there are forward-thinking organizations that we're serving nationwide, their patients, who they're paying us to help them deliver better wound care because by doing so, it helps them under their contracts achieve better economics. There are other patients whose insurance pays for our services. That could be Medicare, could be you know your your Medicare Advantage insurance. Could, you know, locally we have some leading insurers. You know, whether it's UCare, Medica, they would be the ones paying for the services. I see. Um, has this been an easy sell? for you to to the the healthcare industry it, it seems like you've ramped up very quickly we have ramped up quickly that's because of the sheer size of this problem to the folks who are in senior care this is a problem you know i think that there is no easy sell in healthcare, I would be, you know, lying if I told you anything was easy about my job or yeah, company's you, you work. You didn't pick the easiest industry. No. And you know, I'll tell you very transparently the issues that we're experiencing. So number one is that 
Medicare Advantage insurance companies have been bundling risk and passing off the entire financial risk of patients to other healthcare organizations who are taking that responsibility as the general contractor. So there's a lot of risk being shared and distributed behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Wound care, like I said, is just one of the issues that these patients have. We know that. You know, we believe it's enormous. We believe it's greater than people have given it attention, and there's good data to support that. But we still need to be very nimble and flexible in how we plug in based on how that risk is being distributed behind the scenes. And patients sometimes don't even really know how much financial decisions are being made about their care without their involvement behind the scenes. So Mm. we have to really understand for each patient how is their medical care organized? How can we get them the wound care they need? They need that wound care, you know, mm-hmm. because nobody else is specialized to provide that specific component of their care. So we have to be very strategic in navigating that. The second issue is that we, right now, after many years of enjoying an inflationary economy, you know, the capital is more difficult to acquire. And, you know, we really, you know, we're fortunate to quickly corral investors who have over a billion dollars under management, who see that the leading wound care company has not yet been built, that there is a fragmented landscape that does no, no longer has the trust of patients or health insurers, and that we need to have a new wound care company with integrity that can be the leading provider of these services. But you know, we have to do 10 times as much with less resources to be very, very capital efficient just based on how, as a startup now, you know, access to capital has become more challenging. So we, we have to not only navigate an environment of big health insurers who have become increasingly consolidated and yeah. big health systems that are consolidated, where it's always been hard to be the little guy in healthcare, mm-hmm. but now we also have to do that with expert attention to how we're managing our financial resources. Since you brought up the business side of it, let's talk about that for a minute. Did you, when, when you, ha- you had this idea, you sort of built out the framework for what this could look like and how it could operate. Did you go out and raise money immediately? We did. We, we knew that we needed good investors who had healthcare experience and who could support this company through its different stages of growth. And we were fortunate to link up with Sousa Ventures. Sousa has a deep healthcare portfolio that includes the first artificial intelligence company to get reimbursement from CMS. They had saw the role of advanced technology and services. And then also Sozo Ventures, who has invested in Twitter, Square, Palantir. They're a big tier one investment firm out of San Francisco. They have a specific thesis on Japan, which is the world's most advanced age society economically. They knew that overseas, wound care is a major crisis, and America is hurling towards some of the challenges that more age societies have. And so they were particularly excited about Hmm. our business aligning with what it means to be a more age society, which I think as a whole in America, we're still kind of coming to terms with. We haven't yet seen the full implication of that. The, the costs to set this up, is it technology and people? I mean, is that, that's, that's basically what you, what you needed. Yeah. I mean, what we've done, which is really unique internally, is that we have replaced what would be layers of middle management within a 
you know, healthcare organization with technology and really empowered the frontline nurse, nurse practitioners certified in wound care through the technology platform to be able to deliver all of the appropriate wound care to the individual patient. And then we use our technology, like I shared earlier, to identify who needs what kind of care. And so we're really not trying to put chatbots in touch with patients with wounds. We're not trying to automate like that wound care piece. We're really trying to know where to throttle up based on what type of characteristics and how to react intelligently if we sense that there may be a patient's wound that's deteriorating in our care. So we're actively monitoring all of these factors for all of these patients, creating programmatic tasks for our care delivery team, and they're able to follow up appropriately. But that is a good question, and I hadn't really even thought about that. In my head, when I was doing my scenario, I was picturing a nurse on the other end of the screen looking at my wound and talking to me. Is that not the case? No. Is it AI first? No, no, it is, okay. is that nurse. You know, the, AI, okay. the analytics is all behind the scenes helping to expand the ability of a nurse or nurse practitioner on our team to see as many patients as possible and deliver the right care. I think that's really important. There's a lot of buzz right now about generative AI, yes. AI in healthcare. We cannot lose that human connection. And mm -hmm. I think that we need to think in certain areas, especially something high acuity like wound care, about how we can actually use the technology to enable that higher quality care and connectivity. So the patients who need more human touch points are able to get those human touch points in the right channel, be it on Zoom or mm -hmm. in person and that we're able to be resource efficient, but not use the technology necessarily to replace that key connection between a medical practitioner and a patient. So at this point today, how much help is the, the generative AI? Is it saving time, money? Is a human actually having to go back and check everything that the AI is doing to make sure that it's accurate? How is it being used? Right now, we are, even though now we're in thousands of patients, we're nationwide, we still are building that data set to really use some of these AI processes at a higher degree. So it's going to take a little bit more time and much more data for our analytics to provide you know, better and better recommendations. We're on our way. The key ground building, as folks who are technologists know, is in how you structure the data, how you tag that data. So we've put a lot of our technology and product development effort into making sure that we're building the foundations for more advanced AI applications as we you know, continue to scale. How big is the Wound Company right now? How big is the team? How many people work for you? Collectively, we are about 25, 30 people, and we're distributed nationwide. We're a fully virtual company. We're growing very quickly, so I do expect that number to double next year, potentially. Does that 25, 30 include the, the medical experts? Right. That's, that includes right. nurses? That, okay. that includes kind of the, the collective interdisciplinary team. And you are, you're in every state at this point? We are, at this point, nationwide taking care of patients. We are operational at the end of this quarter in all 50 states, and we expect next year to have more depth in each of these different markets. So it's going to be a big year. Yeah, I guess. What, what is it going to mean for you? Where are you putting your energy right now? I'm putting my energy into ensuring that we have a care delivery team that feels well supported to provide the highest quality care. I think that, you know, having been through startups growing quickly, 
like Novu Health, there are a lot of growing pains and scaling challenges. So we're really trying to anticipate that and ensuring that we don't undermine the quality that is so central to our brand. You know, this is wound care you can trust. This is not wound care that is going to be, you know, move, moving quickly and, you know, falling apart at the seams. This has to be something that is inherently well-structured and scalable. So we're really anticipating where we expect challenges and mitigating those specifically. I think that um, in our divisive world right now, one thing we can pretty much all agree on is that healthcare needs some fixes. It, it's, it's a mess. You know, whoever you are, however much money you have, it's, it's bureaucratic. There's red tape. It's, you know, I don't think anybody would say they, they love it, right? So from your perspective and everything you're doing and building and everything you've seen, what do you think could fix it? On a broader level, what, what do you know from the experience that you've had already with Wound Company and your others? What would you say fundamentally we need to change about healthcare in America? So I think that, you know, there are two types of healthcare innovators. You know, there are those working within large established organizations, and then there are those who, who like the Wound Company, are smaller organizations, challengers, you know, these insurgent businesses with new ways of approaching care, new technology that are trying to break into that larger ecosystem of healthcare. Mm -hmm. So when I look at, you know, the smaller companies, I think we need to appreciate that healthcare is deeply complicated and small companies really need to know the niche that they fall into because ultimately you cannot be a one-size-fits-all solution or solve all the problems. So having awareness, I think, will help to declutter you know, and improve the signal to noise ratio. So we've been very specific, like we are the wound company. This is exactly what we do. Yes, mm -hmm. these patients have other things going on, but we are a specialized puzzle piece that fits into the overall mosaic that somebody else may be in charge of. To those folks who are the larger companies, and, you know, we've seen an increased amount of consolidation. So the big have gotten even bigger. Right, right. I think it's important to realize that they are managing that mosaic and they may not have the best specialized puzzle pieces. And if they can embrace their role in assembling the best resources around individual patients, that they'll actually be able to achieve more. And so I think, you know, we need to, the big need to think smaller and, hmm. you know, like more collaboratively, because I think there are a lot of good companies out there who who can participate in the solution, but they need the cooperation of those who are more established. So I think just seeing that collaboration will be good. I think more collaboration between the innovators and organizations we have by itself will advance healthcare more than building additional widgets and, you know, some of these types of technologies. There's a lot of technology out there, but there's systemic access issues and cooperation issues that are creating, you know, a stifled environment for innovation. Do you see the Wound Company eventually being acquired, though, by one of those big guys? Is, I mean, it seems like that's kind of the way it goes. You figure out a, a, a niche, you, you serve it successfully, and then, you know, United Health Group acquires you. I think right now, we are so early, it's not even the end of the national anthem, where we're not even <laughs> like, we're not even thinking about any sort of acquisition or exit scenario. We just want to see this vision of assigning a wound care expert to everybody with a wound realized. 
once that's done, I think that we'll have built a business of value. Hmm. For you personally, given your your early childhood memories and this theme throughout your life, is is this is this the company you were you were meant to to build and work for? I feel more gratitude and more satisfaction in this company than any prior role that I've had because we're truly having a major impact on patients' lives. There are patients every day who, in spite of their poor nutritional status, being a smoker, multiple diseases, we're helping them heal and we're protecting their limbs from amputation, preserving their mobility. There are seniors whose activities of daily living and pain we are improving measurably at the end of their life. And it is deeply, I think, gratifying for me to be aligned to an organization actually delivering medical care, having built a software-only business, software services businesses to actually be providing care, I think is incredibly humbling and has increased my appreciation for those folks who in different capacities, they could be working for health systems, home care providers, hospice providers who are actually on the front lines of delivering this care. And, you know, in Minnesota, we are so lucky to have great medical providers, you know, as a mm -hmm. state. That's not true in other states, you know. Yeah. So it's it's just been an incredibly humbling and rewarding experience. Well, it's it's pretty incredible. And to those who think that, you know, it's impossible to to change the system, to see what you've done in, in, a, in such a short amount of time. Really, really impressive. Yeah. We'll be watching. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Well, it's enough of an accomplishment when someone just starts a new business, but how about a business that, that covers a white space you didn't even really totally realize existed? For more perspective, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Mike Porter is a clinical professor of marketing. Mike, I'm so curious, what do you see as the central industry challenge that NEMA is trying to solve with the wound company? You know, the... And, and this is not just about wounds, right? Right. But the, and this is a central challenge across the board at, that he identified early in your conversation. It is a diffused responsibility problem, right? Who's actually responsible for this thing? Right. And, you know, in theory, it's the docs or whatever. But and, and I think the other part of the story that, that sort of goes with this is the undervalue potentially of the role of nursing care in all of this. And when it's diffused across the primary provider and the nurses and who, you know, who's responsible for this and what, what this business is really doing is owning accountability and expertise and aggregating those things into one place mm -hmm. so that this one very specific thing can be facilitated through their organization for an outcome that everybody should want to see right in particular you know the other thing that he was that you said toward the end you know he he said something about you know where you know the national anthem is just playing on this business and i'm not even sure they flipped the coin yet because when <laughs> when organizations like united health group get hold of the idea that when, once they've got a little bit more traction and show how much money they can save the market is going to pull them and they're and they're going to get pulled fast and the, the other thing about him is I'm pretty sure he's going to figure out how to scale this. You know? I think so. Yes, I think he's doing that now. I'm curious what advice you would give him at this critical stage while the coin is in the air. Well, you know, 
actually, and, and I'll give you this based on, you know, I'm a reputation management. That's what I teach to MBAs. And the one thing that he might face is the comfort level of patience. How can this be so much better, right? Because it's mm -hmm. being done. And we know that there's a lot of confidence in telemedicine, a lot more. I've been, you know, I do research in this area and there's a lot more confidence in telemedicine today than there was. And telemedicine has been around a lot longer than people think, right? There's been academic journals for decades. So our comfort level is better, but did I see the doc to look at my wound? And so some level of managing public perception of this is, is probably the only pitfall that I can see at the moment, right? Because mm. the rest of this is based on data there and the successes that they're having. If he can take ostomy wounds recovery from 41% to almost zero, yeah. I mean, that's extraordinary. Right. Because a big part of this is patient engagement. And ultimately, and the other thing that I study is patient experience. If the success, they don't realize just how much faster this happened, right? Because they they don't know. They're not the ones dealing with it all the time. And, and so there's a level of trust that probably should be telegraphed or at least mm -hmm. taking the information that they're building and not just looking at the data itself and saying, okay, how, what, how do we persuade and, and advise patients that this is the good thing? Because the, the corporations are going to have to grab hold of it because it's the cost-effective thing to do. Right. It makes sense. And I think, but I think though he's hitting on something that a lot of us feel in the medical system and that is lost. And like, we, you know, you always hear people say, you've got to be your own advocate because there's not one centralized person. And for this specific field, he's really addressing that. Absolutely. And then the other thing that he's doing is he's saying AI is something that we can use in the future to make this better. But we know that we can't strip the humanity from this particular thing. And a part of that goes back to the patient experience and connection to patient engagement. Their work can't be successful at wound company unless the patients actually follow through on the things they've been advised to do. True. And so that, again, goes back to the trust that they have in this process, because hopefully these people don't have to keep coming back for wounds, right? Right. Well, that's the whole idea. That's what he's trying to solve for. Well, great advice. Hopefully Nima's listening. I'm sure he is. Thank you, Mike Porter, as always. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks so much for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Forlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. Mm -hmm.